And now today's reading, a reading from the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter, verses 9 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, I, John, looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. My friends, it is good to be with you in worship. You may have heard, but we are trying our hand at some pilot services where we invite 20 people at a time, mixed groups of the congregation, to see what it's going to be like if we have to or we get to open with larger numbers. A lot of these people are people who are interested in volunteering, and that's really good for us because we're learning our way through this. So if you want to be among these folks, email D or myself. Today, we have invited folks who are uh, remembering loved ones who've gone to be with the Lord over the past year, as it is All Saints Day, and it is a joy to be with you here on this very special day. On a lighter note, if you have yet to see it, we recorded the very best Halloween organ concert that's ever been done. It's the best. I'm convinced of this. And we aired it Friday night. Now, you can go to our YouTube channel and watch it, and it's not basically only for Halloween. It it works. You can watch it on a random Tuesday in April and get a smile. For one thing, you see Jim Bell on the chancel in shorts. It's incredible. You you have to watch this, and then you have to share it with your friends. There's all kinds of treats in there for you, so please make sure you find that and uh, spend 30 minutes just having a spooky, fun time at Peachtree Christian Church's music ministry and myself. Now, let's turn our hearts together in prayer. Creator God, we are thankful for the life that you have given us. 
And we confess that there are ways that we're not always faithful with that gift. We've been wayward and unwise. We have been sinful. But it's the deep confession of our faith and our hearts that while we walked away from you, you sent your son to reconcile us unto yourself and to cultivate in our hearts a desire for your kingdom. We are grateful. We also confess as a part of our faith and a part of our deep gratitude, you sent your Holy Spirit to us to be a guide and a counselor to us, to bring us together and make us a community of care. Send your spirit freshly now in this place and all over for those who are participating. For you and I know that without you, I can do nothing. May this reflection upon the apocalypse, the book of Revelation, may it enrich our lives and bring nourishment. May it help us as we follow you. It is in the matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray and God's people say together, amen. Communication is already a hard thing. But if you do it indirectly, or if you do it, I don't know, insincerely, it becomes even more complicated. Many of you know the comedian Stephen Colbert. For years, he had a show called The Colbert Report, where he played a bombastic, uh, conservative, right-wing political pundit, and he was incredibly insincere. It was satire. The way he spoke went exactly the opposite of what he believed, and he was trying to make a point and to be funny about it at the same time. Not everybody who tuned in understood his satire and his approach. He brought up some politically incorrect way of speaking about the Asian American community. He was trying to make a point about some other speech that was going on for, toward another community and how wrong that was. And someone tuned in and thought, oh my gosh, he is talking poorly about Asian Americans. Well, that wasn't his point. He got in a bit of hot water over it. And I'm not really here to defend your comedic stylings or his political point of view. I'm here simply to say this. If you don't know what you're looking for in a piece of communication, you might and probably will miss the point. The same can be said about various biblical genres, not least of which is the book of Revelation. You see, the book of Revelation is a part of a biblical genre we don't use much today. It's called the apocalyptic. In fact, the word revelation has got a Latin base to it. Its Greek counterpart is the apocalypse. It's not about the end of the world per se. It's doing something different. It's, it's revealing. In fact, the way revelation in apocalyptic literature works is like if you take a, a black blanket over a, a scene or a setting on a table and you were just to pull it back slowly, revealing what's underneath. It uses politically charged images. It uses symbols and metaphors to make a deeper meaning out of it. It's hard for us when we come to Revelation because we don't use apocalyptic literature any longer. The closest thing I like to tell people of the apocalyptic that I can think of is the song by Don McLean, American Pie. Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And it goes on, right? Good old boys drinking whiskey and rye, singing this will be the day that I die. Is the song about Chevys and levees and whiskey and rye and good old boys? No. Is it about apple pie? No. 
These are just evocative, nostalgic images to talk about the moment he saw the big bopper, Richie Valens, and Buddy Holly die in a plane crash. And it's ultimately about the loss of his childhood. But all those images serve well to make you feel something. That is how the book of Revelation functions. Now, the great misunderstanding is that Revelation is all about future prophecy and that its evocative images correlate to real-world predictable scenarios. Yet, this letter was actually written to a real-world audience of Christians who were suffering under the mighty weight of persecution by political and cultural factors. What is Revelation really meant for? How was it to work in the life of these people who were suffering because of their faith in the lordship of Jesus, not the lordship of Caesar? It's to provide comfort. It is to provide hope. How does this evocative section of scripture provide comfort? Think about it. We see at the outset a multitude, that's what the text tells us, a multitude of people from every race and every nation. It seems as though everybody is represented in this great multitude. There, there's a lamb robed in white. Imagine it. Have you ever seen a lamb before? What would it look like to have a lamb with white wool wrapped in a white robe? Kind of silly when you break it out literally like that. And this great multitude is singing about salvation, being saved from something. And then there's God enthroned, and the Lamb is there as well. And then there's angels. Imagine it. What does that look like? There are elders. Which ones? Who are they? Oh, and there's more. There are four creatures. Now, throughout Revelation, you will... It's not Revelations, by the way. It drives me crazy when movies and TV shows get that wrong. All they have to do is open a book. It's Revelation. You read about these four creatures throughout Revelation. What are they? Well, they often represent the four Gospels. In fact, if you go into our chapel, you'll see on the cross the different images of each of these creatures representing the four Gospels and the Gospel writers. But then there's more. Listen to the text again. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these robed in white? And where have they come from? I said to him, sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And then it goes on with this beautiful heavenly image of free worship and praise where once they were persecuted, but now there's free worship and praise and it's a delightful portrait. And then it says, all their tears from their eyes will be wiped away. The great multitude, robed in white. Where have you seen this before? One time I was out with my cousins in a small rural area of Illinois in a small little wood. And it had a small little creek cutting through it. And we went fishing for yellow belly catfish, vile creatures. But I went anyway. And you put some stink bait on a treble hook and you get five rods and you have some sticks holding up your rods so you can just watch and see if you get bites and you sit there. And then I heard a commotion just down the creek, some singing, something that sounded like prayer. 
about 10, 12, 15 maybe, people were in white robes and then there was a preacher standing in the water with a white robe over his, his waiter boots. He invited somebody into the water and they baptized a person right then and there in that creek with all them yellow-bellied catfish, white robes, often symbolizing something important, doesn't it? Purity, being cleaned and cleansed. But who is this great multitude? Here in Revelation, we're told that they're the ones who've come out of the great ordeal. What ordeal? What ordeal do they have in mind? Interpreters not understanding how the apocalyptic genre works may impose some sort of contemporary or future political upheaval that's going to be an ordeal. But let me suggest to you that while this text is written, it has come after so much that could be called a great ordeal. And while it is being received by these churches, they are in a moment that could be called the great ordeal. It seems as though history has many great ordeals about it. If you just read the chapter before this one, these multitudes of people who are now in this image of heaven, praising God with the Lamb and with God, they're crying out for help because they are suffering for their faith. In fact, there is much of their blood that has been shed for their devotion to Christ. So much for the Pax Romana, right? That's the peace of Rome that Rome used to boast about itself. That brought peace and stability, but so many of these ancient Christians were killed because of Rome. Oh, Revelation, it's also a strong critique of empire. That's in there as well. We could apply it to our own power structures in this world. But now, but now the multitude of every sort of person in every nation, of every corner of the world, this multitude is with God and they have peace. They're in robes of white. And, and for the robe's whiteness, they're cleansed by the lamb's blood. Have you ever used blood to wash something? I submit to you, no scientific back uh, study, but I just know it won't work. It's hard to get blood out of things. What's going on here? Well, I think clearly this is just one sign of how the book of Revelation utilizes images and metaphors and symbols to make a deeper truth. You see, the whole human ordeal has been thrust upon the Lamb. Sin, hatred, persecution, harm done to the innocent, injustice, sickness, death, all the things that we can think about that make the world not what it's supposed to be has been thrust upon the back of the Lamb, and the Lamb has carried it all. And the Lamb has conquered it all, even death. The multitude are those who have clung on to the Lamb through the great ordeal. And now in this picture that we get in Revelation, there's an image of peace and an image of justice. And it tells us once more that every tear is wiped away. I read somewhere this week about how hard it is for any one of us to actually cure the pain or wipe the tear away from any other individual person. Sometimes that's why we avoid people when they're crying. We don't know what to say, right? 
We don't know how to be. We wish we could do more, but really we can't. We know that, and sometimes we shy away. I remember I was on a porch of a friend's house who had a daughter. This is before I had kids and experienced my children's own pain. His daughter came home, and she ran in the house crying. She was clearly upset. I don't know if a, if a boy heard her feelings. I don't know if one of her friends heard her feelings. I don't know what it was. But I could see the trouble on my friend's face, and he, he followed her inside. I waited on the front porch, and he came back out. And crestfallen. That's the best way to describe it. He was crestfallen. And I said, is everything okay? And I could tell he hurt just as much as his daughter. And he just said, I wish I could take it for her, but I can't. We can't. We can't cure the pain so easily of other people. Yet, in this heavenly tableau, the scripture tells us that God doesn't just take one tear away from one person. God takes all of our tears and wipes them away. God takes upon God's own self all of our pain, all of our collective trauma, all the brokenness of the world. And after the great ordeal, all that pain will be made right. This truly is a word of comfort for ancient Christians who, who it was addressed to, these Christians who have been living through an ordeal, killed and hurt and alienated them. And having walked with Christ, let me say, friends, you too can come through whatever ordeal you face. What is more, we, like these ancient Christians, are promised a peace and a justice and a rightness on the other side of the ordeal. This is hope that can comfort. Even though these messages were meant to, meant to reveal something comforting to Christians so long ago, they do, in fact, apply to us. The nature of our world is often colored by darkness, bleakness, of the great ordeal, a pandemic, polarization, tragedy, loss, war, hunger, and so much more. And as I'm very aware of worshiping with you right now, sometimes these losses are very personal. We have to say goodbye to loved ones too soon or before we are ready. Truth is, we're never ready and the pain you feel is real. But on the other side of the ordeal, there's a multitude of every tribe, race, and tongue. And their eyes, their eyes are white. They wear robes of white. And their eyes, the tears falling out are wiped away. There's hope. There's hope now because of what awaits on the other side of the great ordeal. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we're thankful for this text and texts like it that remind us that we're not the only ones who've experienced heartache or trauma or loss, and that you are with those who follow you, and thus you are there with us, and you will be with us tomorrow. God, we ask that you wipe tears away. Give us the strength to continue on through the great ordeals of this world. Give us a hope. And let us live that hope. Let us live that faith now.
as we await. It is in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.